Hello and welcome to the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. Rachel is a speaker, inspirational author, and an overcomer. As Rachel is walking through her own journey of grief, she's challenging others to persevere and overcome their own circumstances. Find out more at rachelflick.com. Here now is your host, Rachel Flick. Hi, friend. Welcome to this week's episode of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. I want you to know that I'm so glad you're here, and I'm excited for you to hear this interview with Janita Pace. She began her passionate pursuit in 2001 to help people who battle depression after overcoming her own battle and now runs a private practice in Minnesota. She's a pastor's wife, a licensed professional counselor in the state of Minnesota, and a member of the National Board of Certified Counselors. She's an adjunct professor at Northwestern and holds a bachelor's in biblical studies from Columbia International University and a master's in education and school counseling from Western Carolina University. Janita and her husband, Tim, live with their two sons in Minnesota. Find her on Twitter at 3RiversSpace, on Instagram at Janita Pace, and visit her website at 3RiversMN.com. Janita, welcome to the Hopecast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. I am really eager to hear about what the Lord has done in your story and how he's used your education and your pursuits and processes to create a resource where you wrote a book, The Healing Names of Jesus, Find Freedom from Depression and Anxiety. Yes, yes. This is just my passion is to help people that are in the midst of depression or struggling with anxiety. Mm. So Tell us what made you passionate about that. Obviously, you have your education around that, and sometimes we seek education to help us um, formulate our own growth process, and sometimes we do our education and then find it's really helpful for us, right? Like we, <laughs> it's chicken and the egg sometimes. So what made you um, really want to reach out to and serve the population that experiences depression and anxiety? I had my own journey with depression and anxiety. And that's actually what started me on this journey. My education came later. And so back in 2001, I, um, you know, I was a Bible college student, newly married. We were in ministry and I felt like I had things pretty well figured out in my life. And then suddenly I was having trouble getting up in the morning. Um, My appetite changed, trouble concentrating. And I began to really believe this dark lie that my family would be better without me and the world would be better without me. And in that darkness, I just started to pull away from people that I love. And the more I pulled away, the more isolated I was. And the more I felt like I was failing, I wasn't going to church anymore and I was not doing well at my job. And so as I spiraled into that, I began to take that belief really to heart. And so I made a decision to um, end my life. And my plan was my husband would go to work Wednesday night to youth group and I would you know, leave a note and I would, um, die by suicide. And I just felt that would be better for him. And I know that sounds so bizarre, but when you're in that dark place, it makes sense to you. It's relatable for people who have suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, people will say, Oh, suicide's so selfish, but honestly, you really think you're helping your family. Hmm. I told someone it's like you fall into a well and you break both your arms on the way down and you can't get out. And you don't want to make your family come get you. And so you feel like you're just letting them live a free life. I mean, you really think that you're doing a good thing. 
And so that's a ironic, great analogy. Yeah. And ironically enough, my husband forgot something and came home and it was such a broken moment for us. And he took me to a psychiatric hospital. I didn't want to go, but I got admitted against my will. And for anyone who's been admitted, it's such a disorienting experience. You feel so lost. And I was allowed to have my Bible and I didn't know what to read. And I just stumbled on Psalm 121 where it talks about, we look to the hills, where does our help come from? It comes from God and he doesn't sleep and he watches over us. So I read that Psalm morning, noon, and night all the time. And I got out of the hospital and I felt embarrassed. I felt ashamed. Mm -hmm. I went home and I listened to my voicemail and there was a message from a Bible college professor who said, hey, I've just been thinking about you and I don't know why, but I felt called to just read you Psalm 121 in your voicemail. Mm, Wow. Yeah. And so it was one of those moments where you don't know what's going to happen, but you know God is still in it with you. And so he wanted me to meet his wife, Pat, and I didn't want to meet anyone. (laughs) But he was insistent because she had been through depression when they were on the mission field. And so Pat came over and she just mentored me, loved me, would assure me that this wasn't a spiritual deficit, that depression does not mean that you are, quote, a bad Christian. And I had people, well-meaning people, dropping off long books and trying to tell me, you know, platitudes, recommending that I just have more faith and I just pray. But Pat would push those aside and just say, you know, Janita, you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you don't have bootstraps. That's what she would say. So she started mentoring me. And in that process, unfortunately, the church that we were working for, they sent the elders out to talk with us. We thought they were coming to pray, but instead they came to find out maybe what sin I had committed to bring this onto our family. Oh, no. Yeah. So we felt so alone. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I know I look back now. What and sin I understand- you had committed to bring depression on your family? Yes. Oh, my yes. goodness. Yes. Wow. And, you know, and I know that they thought they were helping, but talk about feeling. They thought they were helping. They didn't even come to confront you. They thought they were, this was helpful. Yeah. Unbelievable. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Man, is there, I, I just feel like there is such an opportunity in you sharing that piece of your story for us to connect with the listener to say, Jesus made it really clear that um, in this world you will have trouble. And Mm -hmm. his disciples came and asked, like, what did he or his parents do that he was been, you know, paralyzed from birth, right? That child that he healed. And he said, it was nothing. It was so that my glory could be expressed, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't do anything. His parents didn't do anything. And so sometimes the things that we experience in our life are connected to, um, different choices that we've made. And sometimes crap happens and (laughs) we have, you know, um, missing brain chemistry that we need to feel healthy. And, um, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And I think too, of my friend whose mom, um, died of cancer and her church told her that she was dying because she didn't have enough faith. And if she had had enough faith, it would have um, healed her from her cancer. And so I know that your story is not uncommon. And I just want to speak correction and comfort to you um, and having experienced that to correction to the people who would come to help you 
to say mm-hmm. what's in when they have no idea, first of all, right? If you have an intimate relationship with someone and you know that they are in a repetitive sin pattern that is causing destruction in their life, that's a completely different experience than a group of people self-appointing to come to your house to find out what sin is causing your depression. Those are radically different. And so I'm just, I'm so sorry that happened to you, Janita. And I'm so sorry for the listeners in the audience who have experienced that or heard that from someone and the hurt that that caused. And I just want you to hear that that is not the heart of God in your pain. And I'm so sorry. You know, I think that God allowed that experience to help me understand the damage that does and to advocate for those that are being hurt by, like I said, I think well-meaning Christians who really believe that they are helping and give me on my soapbox. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Like it, it, I can't describe the, the feeling when they left. It was just terrible. Mm. And Pat was so angry, you know, but thank, thank goodness she was there to help me understand that's not what's happening here. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. And she would, my mind was so confused and I was having trouble even comprehending information. And so she would just come and tell me Bible stories. And she would tell me, God's going to use this. And she said that so many times. And I told her, I don't believe you. (laughs) And she would say, well, let me hold your hope for you until you can carry it. And I held on to that. And so about three months after she started mentoring me, um, my husband called me just broken and said that Pat had died suddenly. And I was so angry with God and said, why did you take the one person, the one person that was my, my mentor, my friend, And I was crying and I got my shoes on and I decided to walk down to our mailbox, which was down the street. And I remember just being so, gosh, so lost. And I got to the mailbox and there was a card from Pat that she'd mailed the morning that she had passed away. And it just said, "Um, God will use this and you'll see. Wow. That makes me cry. That's incredible. I know, I still cry. I know, I've told this story a million times, but it's so dear to me. And, um... And so I wish she was here because she would, in her feisty way, would say, I told you. (laughs) (laughs) She's a very feisty woman. Mm. Um, But we, we, I held that card and we moved to my home of Minneapolis after that to, I got into some group therapy. I went to um, individual therapy. And as I grew, I said to my therapist, oh my gosh, like as I learn, as I see how this applies to the Bible, I think I want to be a therapist. And he was like, well, don't get ahead of yourself. (laughs) But um, as I continued to grow in my understanding of depression and learn skills, and now as I've come through this, my heart and my passion is to go down into those wells and get people Mm. who are stuck. Such a beautiful analogy, and I love that now you are the one with the harness and the repelling gear, and that you see the value when they don't of going down into the well and and helping them and bringing them out. And I think that that's a really beautiful analogy in many ways too, because when we are in depression and anxiety, it feels like maybe there's a staircase that's invisible. That if we could just find it, we need to pull ourselves out. And you said, you know, your arms broke on the way down. And that's another great analogy of like, we truly lack the capacity in many ways to pull ourselves out. And how powerful is it to acknowledge our dependence on God and our community and to ask for help 
and to really say like, I don't have what it takes. And after my husband passed away, I reached a really dark place and with suicidal thoughts, um, around 18 months, 20 months. And I had a mentor that came and said, I know of this place called Honey Lake in Greenville, Florida. And I wondered if you consider going and it was the most beautiful, beautiful place. Um, and it was impatient, but it was like the setting of a, of a classic Southern movie or something with those big weeping willow trees and warm suns sunsets. And I, I needed all of it. I needed every single piece of that, but it was such a disorienting experience. And yet it was so beautiful and so needed. And I really needed to let people take care of me. I needed people to lift me when I couldn't lift myself. And so I just so admire your courage in your healing process and leaning into the people who loved you and didn't want you to stay at the bottom of the well. I love talking to other people that have had those suicidal thoughts because I think we understand each other so well. You know, one of the stories I talk about in the book that really helped me conceptualize the importance of having people is the story, um, there's a New Testament story where Jesus is teaching in a house that's crowded and there's a paralytic man outside on a mat and he has four friends who are determined to get him before Jesus. And so they go to the roof and they dig the roof out and they lower him right before <laughs> Jesus. And what a beautiful picture of the people that go down into the well and say, we're coming to get you. And the paralytic man had to be... Um, open to letting them do that and allowing them to work really hard to help him. And so I know that it's hard for me sometimes to ask for help because I still have struggles, but I keep that picture of these four friends who work really hard, but they love this, this man. And so one of my encouragements is to my clients is let people help you. They want to help and they want to get in the well. And so don't deprive them of the opportunity to do what they are likely called to do. Mm, it's so good. In part of your um, testimony in your bio, you mentioned that um, you guys were struggling in your marriage, which sounds completely relatable. Do you feel like sharing a little bit about how your depression in this long journey um, and you mentioned in your bio an emotional affair, which also makes total sense, right? Getting your needs met yeah. somewhere. Will you tell us more about those pieces of your story? Yeah. So Tim was amazing in the process of getting our healing. Pro you know, it's it's a Tim calls it a dance, and he's a great resource to talk about what it's like as the caregiver, but how you have to work together to navigate depression. Both people have to work really hard. And so I got stronger and we came out of it, but Tim has a rare brain disorder and he started having some really intense symptoms. And, and through that process, we grew apart and I developed feelings for someone at my job. And I think back now about how broken we were at that point in our marriage. Tim had made some bad choices. I made bad choices. And in those times, it's easy for depression to also ramp up and a lot of the shame and the guilt, but walking through those experiences together as a couple and coming before Jesus and having to, to come to him as I call it the doctor telling him mm. I'm, I'm really struggling. I'm sick. 
And so many times in the Christian faith, I think we are taught that you shouldn't be weak. But in the times that I've made the worst decisions of my life is when I go to Jesus as a doctor and he can do the most healing that I've ever experienced. So I've come to see my bad choices as actually opportunities for him to do major surgery on my heart. And he's so willing to do it, whether or not it's because of something bad that's happened to me or something bad that I chose to do. Isn't that amazing? Like he Mm -hmm. doesn't, you know, we go to the doctor, they don't say, well, if you did it yourself, we're not helping you. Like you're going to have to live with this because you made a bad choice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You made a bad decision. You went bungee jumping, you (laughs) broke your leg. (laughs) And we only have people who like are really victims. But how amazing that Jesus is like, I don't care whether you got hurt because you got injured by someone else or because you made a choice and now you're injured. I'm going to work with you and heal you regardless. And so I learned a lot about accepting that from him. And so Tim and I worked on our marriage and we've gotten back to a a much stronger place. But it was definitely a humbling journey along the way. And so were you a pastor's wife through this whole time, through this whole journey? Were you guys in ministry this whole time? We left ministry after that experience with the elders at that church. Um, I think we felt wounded mm-hmm. and felt we needed some time to get ourselves sorted out. So we worked in um, the finance industry for a number of years, and then Tim started feeling called back to ministry. You know, it's interesting how life takes these journeys that you don't expect. And Tim got laid off and we had to move to North Carolina and it was then that he decided to go back and get a seminary degree and get back into the ministry. Um, so it was great to have that time to heal and to recover and then now to be able to be back in it. Okay. Yeah, because there's such uh, an expectation of having it together when you're mm-hmm. in ministry and that you don't suffer and struggle and fight with your kids or your spouse like everybody else because right you know you guys are all shiny and polished up what does that feel like and now you're you're back in ministry sharing your story and and how does that affect you as um a pastor's wife who is caring for and supporting and serving like do you feel like you have to have it together now or do you feel like you have grace um for what you experience that um what people really need of you is a more transparent version I'm glad you asked that question because I think I still struggle with letting go of the idea that I have to be a beacon of hope every day for Mm. everyone. (laughs) And the picture that helps me navigate that is when Jesus was in the garden and he was openly scared and asked his father to help him. And he's in so much anguish, he's sweating blood. You know, if I had a client Mm. whose panic attacks involved sweating blood, I, I mean, that would that's the most intense panic I can think of. Mm. But the idea that if Jesus is quote unquote weak and he's God, then of course I'm going to be on my knees some days begging for help. And that's okay. You know? And so if God had told me he was coming as a human to earth to live and to die, I honestly wouldn't have assumed that he would ever be afraid. Hmm. But for him to show that, it's okay to be anxious. It's okay to be afraid. That's a human emotion that's acceptable. It's okay to be weak in front of other people. And so I try to keep that in my mind, that if Jesus had those moments and he needed help, then of course I do. <laughs> but letting people in to see those is a constant, constant battle that I have to keep working through. Yeah. So you had your mentor, Pat, 
And what did she teach you then about how to choose safe people into those spaces? Because not everybody deserves the nitty gritty raw places of us and they shouldn't get them because they will use them against us or, you know, they will think differently of us. And so we choose a safe community to come around us. How can the listener kind of have some pointers on who are you looking for that is worthy of your trust to share the hard things in your story with, or if you're suffering with depression and anxiety and you need to ask for help? Hmm. Well, and one of the things I talk about my, you know, my book, I wrote this book as the the book that I wish I would have had 20 years Mm -hmm. ago. That's kind of how I laid it out. And so I have a whole section on how to go about choosing people that you can trust and what those people look like. And some of the top things that I, I tell my clients and I tell people that I meet that are struggling is that it's so important to have people that listen well. So important to have people who are determined to, to be present, that don't give advice, don't give platitudes, mm. don't give guilt trips. And I warn people that you're going to have those moments when you wish you wouldn't have shared with someone and you have to tell yourself, I have to move on and I have to find someone else. And so you're always taking the risk when you share that the person in front of you might turn out not to be a safe person. And that can be really difficult. But it's so it's so important to have the community around you, like I said, four people willing to put you in front of Jesus. Mm. And so I, I tell my clients and I, I tell myself, it's important to constantly build a team, you know, that's available. And that's why, again, I go back to Jesus, how he has the father and the spirit. And so God himself is never without community and mm-hmm. they help each other to complete their mission, that's which good. was to adopt us. So again, yeah. if God can't do this without community, then <laughs> I can't do this without community. That's so good. Janita, that's so good. Um, I would love to continue this, and I want to hear more about your book and the healing names of Jesus, Find Freedom from Depression and Anxiety. Janita, where can people find your book? So my book is available on Amazon. It's also available through Barnes & Noble um, and Christian Book Distributors. If people go to my website, they can find the book, and there's also a free downloadable group guide. So one of my passions is for people to go through this book in, in community, in safe community. Mm. I think that that's important. So That's awesome. So it could be a Bible or a book study for a group. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, because yeah. I think that's one of my passions. And each name, each day is, is not long. It's, it's a name of Jesus and how it applies to getting out of depression and anxiety. And to clarify for listeners, too, that I still struggle. Like, this isn't over for me. But I think, again... The more I struggle, the more I'm in Jesus, his doctor's office needing his help. Mm. And so I think it's in a strange way. I don't think I would be who I am without depression. Mm. Okay, well, let's pick that up because that is a very powerful statement. Um, Janita, what is your website? It's threeriversmn.com, all spelled out. And MN is like the shortened of Minnesota. Three Rivers MN. Got it? Yep, Yep, that's correct. And you are on Twitter and Instagram. And is there any other um, place where people can connect with you or send you questions? Um, I'm sure people, when they hear you speak, are always asking if you're taking clients, if you're available for questions or intensives, or do you do anything like that? 
Yeah. So on my website, there's a place where people can submit questions and reach out. And then I'm also on Facebook under my name in Three Rivers. And so people can also submit questions there. So absolutely. Wonderful. Okay. Well, um, this has been a really beautiful story and a, and a vulnerable telling of something that's so relatable with depression and anxiety. And I'm really looking forward to picking this up with you next week. Friends, would you rate, review, and subscribe to the Hopecast to help continue to push forward the message of hope and share with the people in your life who need to hear these healing stories? Everybody, this has been the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. You've been listening to the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. To find out more, go to rachelflick.com. While you are there, you can book Rachel for your next speaking engagement. Her inspiring message will be sure to engage and touch the heart of your audience at your next conference, church event, or business function. Go to rachelflick.com to book her today. While you're online, you can discover more information about all of the platforms that this podcast is on. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave us a review. To follow Rachel on social media, simply click on the social media icons at the top of the page and you will be directed to those sites. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Thanks for joining us and we will see you next time for another edition of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick.